From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Sui with you on this Monday, August 14th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, over 90 people are confirmed dead in the Hawaii wildfires. A far-right libertarian has taken a surprise lead in Argentina's primary election. Monday marks the sacrifices by women forced into sexual slavery during World War II. In business, China stresses optimizing for investment environment. In sports, early action from the English Premier League. In culture and entertainment, Chinese piano maestro has been honored with Life Achievement Award. Now today's top stories. More than 90 people are dead in the wildfires in Maui in Hawaii. The inferno that began a week ago has swept across the resort island. It's the deadliest natural disaster since Hawaii became a U.S. state. Efforts to find and identify the victims are only beginning. Nitsa Sodat Perez reports. The wildfire's death toll continues to rise here in Hawaii. Now, canine teams are searching for cadavers and they started working only on Saturday. That's why officials are saying that they expect to find more bodies. Now, firefighters are still extinguishing flare-ups in Lahaina and other parts of West Maui. Access is still restricted uh, to residents, and they continue to feel frustrated. They want to go back to their hometown. Hawaii Governor Josh Green and the FEMA director surveyed all the area that was destroyed by the fires. Now, I had the opportunity to talk to the Maui County Mayor and ask him what I continue to hear from the residents, why they were not warned. They, didn't, they say they didn't hear any, any fire alarms, they didn't get any text messages. So I posed a question to him. This was his answer. Generally speaking, we do not have sirens for fires. Okay. I don't know if anybody in any other state does. Uh, the sirens tell you to go in and turn on your television and listen to the news reports. It's usually for uh, tsunami warnings and hurricanes. Uh, we don't want people, if there's a fire, going back into their home and turning on their TV. We'd rather they take, you know, take evasive action. So. I, I think there's a lot of talk about people um, maybe misunderstanding the purpose. And that explanation is definitely not enough for the people that lost loved ones, all their belongings, their home. That was Nitsa Sodad Perez in Maui. Locals in the town of Lahaina in Maui have been trying to help as much as they can to support a response to the deadly wildfires. Many of them have brought in supplies including water, toiletries, food, clothing and lightning equipment. Kelly McNett works at a local tour company. I've been trying to not cry this whole time. I've been trying to be strong for everybody, you know, but I'm just, I'm so, so hurt by everything that's happening. 
Principal Tonada Lolesio of the Sacred Heart School said she hopes the students can return to a normal campus life as soon as possible. The children have already been through so much, through so much, and their families. And I'm hoping to at least try to get some normalcy or get them in a in a room where they can continue to learn, or just be in another another environment where they can take their minds off of that and and be in books and you know with their friends and their teachers. Hopefully that will happen soon. Meanwhile, the War Memorial Gymnasium is providing hundreds of evacuees with shelters. Members of the U.S. National Guard and the Army have been assisting the fight against the wildfires and relief operations. Researchers say global climate change is part of the reason for the deadly fires in Hawaii. Conditions that stoked the fires were already brewing before the blazes broke out. Jim Spellman spoke with climate experts and scholars to explain. Global climate change didn't cause the wildfire in Hawaii, but did contribute to creating the conditions that helped the fire spread so quickly with such deadly results. Climate change exacerbates the extremes. So you have more frequency of floods and droughts. Even in lush Hawaii, higher temperatures have meant vegetation is getting drier. In the weeks before the wildfire, drought conditions developed on Maui. When you have higher temperatures, um, you have more evaporation of water. And also, you can think of it as plants being thirstier, so plants use more water when the air temperature is higher. So the water that is present um, tends to disappear more rapidly. Once the wildfire began, conditions were ideal for the flames to spread. So you have dry vegetation that is, when there's a spark, it's easier for that vegetation to ignite and for the wildfire to spread. Um, climate change in many parts of the world is increasing, um, increasing vegetation dryness. It's not likely the global community will reverse the impacts of climate change in the short term. So in Hawaii and other vulnerable areas, communities may need to make changes to accommodate the evolving climate. For wildfire mitigation, that may include building structures more resistant to fire and better managing plant life. Bigger investment in managing these fuels, reducing the fuels, doing fire breaks, things like this, fuel breaks around these communities, which are actions that need to be taken months in advance of these kind of bad fire weather conditions that we're seeing. In the years to come, more communities will likely experience dangerous wildfires driven by global warming. Maybe not next in the next decade, but over the next hundred years, wildfires in areas where we traditionally have not thought of wildfires happening, it may it, the incidents may increase. Yet another sign that climate change is one of the most serious issues facing mankind. That was Jim Spellman reporting. Elsewhere in the world, a slow-moving but fierce typhoon is set to land on Japan's main island of Honshu on Tuesday. Heavy rain and violent gusts from Typhoon Land already affecting Japan's traditional open holiday week, when millions of families travel to their hometowns. Chris Gilbert reports from Tokyo. There have been some sporadic showers coming through already. There's definitely a typhoon on the way. It is very tropical. It is wet and it is humid. And the main thing authorities are doing are, you know, suspending travel because this is the main travel period. The Auburn holiday is the first real uh, full swing Auburn holiday where people are traveling back to their hometowns. It's almost like New Year's since the pandemic uh, started. And now this is being, uh, this typhoon is crashing the party. We're seeing some bullet trains suspended. The main event when the typhoon is really meant to hit the middle uh, of Japan, straight down the middle. And this is a really big deal. The bullet train suspended between the cities of Osaka and Nagoya all day. Now, that is the Achilles heel of travel in Japan. That is the main road. It has been for centuries, the Tokaido line. And that is how people get from East Japan to West Japan and vice versa. Uh, some forecasts are saying there could be as much as 600 millimeters in a 24-hour period. Some places are being warned of uh, you know, more rain in a single day uh, than they would normally see in an entire August. That was Chris Gilbert on a rainy Auburn holiday in Japan. In China, authorities have issued alerts for mountain torrents and possible geological disasters in areas including the country's northeast, northwest, and southwest. Local authorities are advised to strengthen real-time monitoring and flood warning procedures while preparing for possible evacuations. In northeastern China, cleaning and recovery efforts have begun in some areas, while others are bracing for more possible risks. Lu Surrey reports from Heilongjiang province. 
In Heilongjiang province, the flood peak of Songhua River has already passed the urban area of Harbin. And regarding to the rural areas in Heilongjiang province, uh, they have assigned uh, distributed big machines to help accelerate the draining process. And they've also assigned experts to teach locals how to protect their grounds. And the local authorities have also been trying hard to uh, recover electricity, water, and clean up roads. There will still be some rainfall in the central areas of uh, Jilin province, but the situation is a little bit more serious in Liaoning province. Um, local authorities have issued tier one warning, that's the most serious uh, level for the geological risks. And uh, in Dalian city, for example, the waters in four reservoirs have exceeded the flood limits, and uh, so the flood discharge uh, has been carried out steadily now and also local maritime uh, authorities have issued more than 600 alert messages to locals and they have suspended more than a hundred boats in the area and have evacuated more than 5,000 tourists. That was Lu Surrey reporting. China is marking its first ecological day on Tuesday. He hopes the occasion will help people become more aware of climate change and the environment. Efforts in ecological protection has changed people's lives in Qingshan village in eastern China. Yang Shanshan went there to find out more. This beautiful village lies in the east of Zhejiang province. Many years ago, its beauty was damaged by pollution since the 1980s. Many factories were set up nearby to manufacture bamboo products. And to increase bamboo production, villagers used excessive fertilizer and pesticides and severely polluting the water nearby. The water here used to be quite muddy, not as clear as you see now. The change happened in 2015 after a young person named Zhang Haijiang came to the village. He represented the Nature Conservancy organization and decided to put a stop to the pollution and raise people's awareness of ecological protection. We set up a water fund of about 1 million RMB that is about 140,000 US dollars with our partner Alibaba to manage this project. We use the water fund to lease all the bamboo forests from the villagers to totally ban the use of fertilizer and pesticides. At the same time, we did some ecological restoration work. It took only three years for the water here to become totally clean and meet the standard of first-class category drinking water. Villagers here were shocked by the change. Our bamboo sprouts can sell for a high price now because it is a purely organic plant with no fertilizer and pesticides. Also, we can drink the best quality water and breathe the fresh air. The living environment improved a lot. When the factory closed, some villagers worried about their future way of life. But they quickly realized that a beautiful village brings new visitors and new business. We built this school in 2018 with a purpose to educate people on how to live in harmony with nature. I was so attracted by this place that I decided to settle down here in 2021 after I finished my master's in climate. I want to help children who visit to connect with nature and the countryside. Many kids from the cities nearby visit Qingshan village to spend the holiday. Many artists have also settled down here to look for inspiration and creativity. The water protection has already become a brand for the village and brought many tourists here. Now villagers finally realize ecological protection is a very cool idea. For Zhang Haijiang and other ecologists, the success of Qingshan village has given them more confidence. They hope to promote this idea to more rivers and lakes in China and let more people know the importance and the results of ecological protection. That was Yang Shanshan on ecological protection in Qingshan, Zhejiang province. Coming up, a far-right libertarian has taken a surprise lead in Argentina's primary election.
the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. It's 13 minutes past the hour. Argentine far-right libertarian Javier Milei has taken a surprise lead in the country's primary election. First results show that economists had more than 32 percent of the vote. The main conservative opposition bloc follows with nearly 28 percent, with the ruling coalition in third. The outcome of the primary vote is an indicator of Argentina's general election scheduled for October. Joe Richards has more on why it's important and what voters are hoping for. Voting is mandatory for all Argentines eligible to vote, but also all parties hold their presidential primaries on the very same day. So essentially, there's a first round ahead of October's presidential elections or a dress rehearsal, if you like. But it will help us gauge the mood in Latin America's third-largest economy. The main issue affecting voter mood is the economy. Argentina is currently battling with triple-digit inflation, year-on-year inflation running at 116 percent. So there's major voter dissatisfaction in terms of what to look for. There are a number of issues. Firstly, how will the government perform? We know that President Alberto Fernandez is not running for re-election. That's a decision made on the back of approval ratings. Economy Minister Sergio Massa is expected to win the candidacy. The question is, how much of the total vote will the government take? As for the main opposition alliance, Juntos por el Cambio, Together for Change, voters must decide between Patricia Bullrich, the former security minister, a hardline conservative, and the current Buenos Aires city mayor, Horacio Rodriguez Larreta, who has campaigned on a more moderate stance. Elsewhere, we mentioned how there is deep dissatisfaction with politicians. And that has opened the way for the far-right libertarian Javier Milei to look to seek the protest vote. He's promised radical change for Argentina. That was Joe Richards with a report on Argentina's primary election. Still in South America, the political party championing Ecuador's assassinated presidential candidate Fernando Valencia has elected a journalist as his replacement. The Build Ecuador movement chose Christian Zurita to replace Valencia, who was gunned down at the end of a campaign rally last week. Zurita says we'll carry forward the political project of Valencia, an outspoken critic of the drug trade and corruption ravaging the country. We could not allow, under any circumstances, that Fernando's non-presence after this atrocious and brutal crime could be lost. I could not allow his political project to be lost by the National Electoral Council through a possible dismissal of his candidacy. Fernando Villasincencio's project is intact, and I had to fight for it. Zurita's candidacy still needs approval from Ecuador's National Electoral Council. Bonavencio's partner Andre Gonzalez will remain the vice presidential candidate. The presidential election date is still set on August 20th. The head of a religious delegation of mediators says Niger's military has agreed to have talks with West African bloc ECOWAS. The religious leader from Nigeria met with Niger's military junta in Niamey. Gary Amado has more. They discuss about the way to go out of the crisis, and、uh, according to information I got,、uh, religious, leader, religious leaders they ask to the junta to to be ready for negotiation. And uh, uh, in response to, I mean, the demand of、uh, the religious leader, it seems that the junta ask ECOWAS、uh, to lift the sanctions, I mean,、uh, over Niger. So they went back. And、uh, they had, let's say, an agreement of, with the junta that、uh, it is,、uh, let's say, the, the junta is ready to to discuss with、uh, ECOWAS. But、uh, the first step is to to lift, I mean, uh, uh, the the sanctions over Niger. Yeah, it seems that the president, the president Mohamed Bazoum, is very in a good,、uh, in a good mood. And、uh, so the doctor said that uh, uh, the the president is very strong and.、Uh, He's very. He's also continuing the 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 battle to regain his power, and also 
uh, he brought to him, let's say, food. And the, the, first, the only problem that remains is that the, the president do not have electricity. That was Gary Amado reporting from Yemen. France has suspended the issuing of new visas to Burkina Faso nationals. Paris strongly advising French citizens not to travel there. Burkina Faso and Mali pledged their support for the coup leaders in Niger. The former colonial power has also suspended visas to Malians in retaliation for Mali's refusal to issue visas to French nationals. Wanja Mungai reports. France's decision follows the suspension of Air France flights to and from Burkina Faso since 11th of August. Analysts say this will affect the many Burkinabis heading to France, especially students. This is a time when many Burkinabi nationals, including students, come to visit their families in the country. At the moment, I think most of them will have to return to France soon, but they will certainly have difficulties. The baccalaureate results have just been announced, and it is time for students who want to study in France to apply for scholarships, but they will not be able to do so. If our students can no longer stay there, it's not a problem. They can go to other countries such as China. France is not the only country where students get a good education or a good diploma. Unlike the Malian government which has decided to retaliate, the Burkinabi military government is silent on the matter. I think Burkina Faso's silence is a good thing because the issue needs to be studied carefully before any decision is taken. We shouldn't rush into decisions that could affect Burkina Faso students in France. As they observe the state of relations between France and Burkina Faso, those affected are waiting for refunds of their visa application fees. This comes in the wake of increasing anti-French sentiment in the Sahel region following the fallout with Niger and Mali. That was Wanja Munga reporting. The Hungarian capital is facing a shortage of patrol officers as more policemen in Budapest are turning in their badges. Long work hours and some of the lowest salaries for law enforcement officers have diminished the morale of the rank and file. Pablo Guterres takes a look at the dilemma. Kalman Horvat no longer walks his police beat. For eight years, he wore the uniform of the Budapest Police Department and patrolled some of the toughest streets in the city. He says he became disillusioned with the work conditions at the department and had to make a choice between doing the job he loved or earning a better living. If you don't have, uh, for example, a partner or a wife, or you are not living with some other colleagues and share the coats, then I think I can say it's impossible. Horbat is not alone. Currently, there are 4,500 vacancies in the force, according to the Budapest Police Union. It says some of those posts might never be filled if salaries are not improved. The union claims some city districts have 25% fewer officers compared to the number of policemen on patrol just two years ago. Compared to other European countries, the police profession is not respected as it should be by our legislators. There is a lack of training. We used to have hazard insurance in case of injuries or deaths, but even that is gone. Police officers in Hungary are among the lowest paid in the European Union. The starting salary is just $730 a month compared to the EU average of $3,000 a month for new officers. But the Budapest Police Department says its officers received a 10% pay increase two years ago and is working to increase its current staffing levels. They indicate that the number of patrols on city streets is sufficient to ensure public safety and the well-being of their officers. Low wages are not the only reasons why many police officers say they are quitting. Hungary's government changed the age of retirement. Previously, officers could start receiving their pensions at the age of 50. Now they must remain on the force until they're 65. Horvath has picked up a new beat since he left the force and turned his passion for Argentine tango into a profitable business. I'm selling uh every kind of dance shoes for hobby dances, Latin dances, ballroom dances, but mostly Argentine tango shoes and Argentine tango fashion. With his police days behind him, Horbet says the only beat he now wants to follow is on the dance floor. 
That was Pablo Gutierrez on the struggles of police officers in Budapest. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up Monday marks the sacrifices by women forced into sexual slavery during World War II. Would you like to receive the latest news updates about China and the rest of the globe? Tune in to the Beijing Hour every weekday for the latest in politics, business, sports, and entertainment from a Chinese perspective. Subscribe to the Beijing Hour for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It's 23 minutes past the hour. Monday marks the International Memorial Day for Comfort Women. Japan sexually enslaved women during World War II and tormented them with rapes, heavy labor, and abuses. Some were tortured to death, and some were handicapped. There were over 200,000 sex slaves from World War II in China, and more than 100,000 on the Korean Peninsula. South Korea has set up memorials in honor of these women. Jack Barton in Seoul has more about how South Korea is marking this occasion. Well, activities right across the country. There's also one of those memorial statues in front of the main Japanese embassy in Seoul as well,、uh, where there's a permanent vigil. There's、uh, activities going on, but、uh, the government event handled by the Ministry for Gender Equality and Family. Uh, also, over in Gangneung on the east coast, the government there holding a big memorial. They say、uh, to ensure there is a correct version of history. That's their term,、uh, as well as ultimately justice, compensation, and a full apology for the victims of wartime sexual slavery. We see over in Incheon near the airport to the west of Seoul around 200 non-government organisations coming together.、Uh, they're the ones that originally came up with this comfort. Woman statue project that has led to those、uh, statues in front of the embassy in、uh, Seoul, as well as in Busan. In fact,、uh, statues appearing across the country and right around the world now to keep the legacy or you know the, the history of what happened to these women、uh, in mind for people. Really, right across the country in big and small ways, people trying to ensure、uh, that what happened to these women is not forgotten in history. That was Jack Barton reporting. Colombian prosecutors have announced sexual abuse charges against the father of two of the four indigenous children who survived a plane crash in May in the country's Amazon region. Director Nohara Kagura Bacarets says Manuel Renoc was accused of sexually abusing his 13-year-old stepdaughter. The father of two of the four children found in the Guaviare jungle after they were missing for 40 days was captured and brought to trial. The man sexually abused his stepdaughter continuously since she was 10 years old. Apparently, the alleged aggressor took advantage of the situation to harass her and violated her integrity when she was alone with him. Director Astrid Ceseres of the Colombian Family Welfare Institute says what was happening to the children is an issue of justice they have to operate. The children are still in the process of restoring their rights. We will not expose them to anything that's not to protect them. At this time, their history and personal life is theirs and belongs to them. The arrests and what the prosecutor's office does correspond to the framework of the law. We are supporting them throughout the process so that justice operates with everything that corresponds to it. The children went missing after the small plane they were traveling went down, which killed their mother and two other adults. They've been hospitalized for a month after they were rescued in June. Scientists have discovered a strain of bacteria which reduces malarial parasites in mosquitoes. Researchers working for pharmaceutical company GSK found that Anopheles mosquitoes, which carry the bacteria, were incapable of transmitting malaria. David Barros Aguirre is the head of a GSK lab in Madrid, Spain. He explains how the bacteria can prevent the development of the malaria parasite. So the bacteria gets inside of the gut of a mosquito. Even if one single bacteria will go there, it stays there like the microbiome. It stays in the gut of the mosquito, reproduces in the gut of the mosquito, and that bacteria produces a metabolite, a compound. Naturally, by itself, that is called harmane, and it is the harmane, the compound, that affects the viability of the、uh, eggs of the parasite. 
A World Health Organization report recorded over 240 million cases of malaria in 2021. Let's check the weather. Beijing is 24 overnight Tuesday, sunny with a high of 34. Chongqing is 28 this evening, sunny and 37 tomorrow. Lhasa is 14 overnight tomorrow, cloudy and 25. Hong Kong is 28 tonight, cloudy and 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 25 overnight, light rain and 31 on Tuesday. Islamabad is 22 tonight, tomorrow light rain and 34. Bangkok is 26 overnight, then light rain and 35 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see slight rain with a high of 26. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 9 this evening, then light rain and 13, uh, 16 on Tuesday. Auckland is 8 overnight, tomorrow light rain with a high of 14. Port Vila has light rain and 26 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, over 90 people are confirmed dead in Hawaii wildfires. A far-right libertarian has taken a surprise lead in Argentina's primary election. Sui with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. My this music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好 Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Sui, with you on this Monday. Still to come in business, China stresses optimizing foreign investment environment. In sports, early action from the English Premier League. In culture and entertainment, a Chinese piano maestro has been honored with Live Achievement Award in New York City. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom@cgtn.com or follow our X, formerly Twitter account, CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines. Here is Tianyu. Thank you, Sui. China's Commerce Ministry has announced that deposits will be levied on polycarbonate imports from the Taiwan region as an anti-dumping measure. The ministry says PC imports from Taiwan have engaged in dumping activities which damage the mainland's PC industry. A Russian warship has fired warning shots at a cargo ship in the Black Sea for the first time since Moscow withdrew from the grain deal last month. Russia said its patrol vessel fired automatic weapons on the northbound ship after it failed to respond to a request for inspection. The defense ministry said the inspection group boarded the plow-flagged ship with the help of a helicopter and allowed the ship to continue on its way to a Ukrainian port. A senior advisor to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said the incident was a violation of international law of the sea. North Korean leader Kim Jong Un has called for production of missiles and artillery shells to ramp up in order for the country to secure military power and be ready for war. Local media say Kim visited key munitions factories over the weekend. The field inspection came shortly before South Korea and the United States are set to begin their annual military drills. The streets of Niamey have appeared calm after the army dispersed a rally in support in support of ousted President Mohamed Bazoum of Niger. The military junta has rejected an ECOWAS deadline to reinstate Bazoum or face military intervention. No military action has been taken yet, but the possible intervention by the economic community of West African African states remains on many residents' minds. 
Everyone is free, as you can see in the streets. Everyone is going about their business. There's no problem in Niger now. But if ECOWAS says it's going to come and attack Niger, it's going to see Niger's red eyes right now. We're going to rise up against ECOWAS. In fact, ECOWAS no longer exists. And they have forgotten that when President Bazoum came to power, it wasn't him who won the election. It was Mahmoud Ausman who won. ECOWAS has initially imposed travel and economic sanctions on Niger following the military coup. Leaders of the regional bloc have decided to deploy a standby force to restore constitutional order in Niger but remain committed to finding a diplomatic solution. FBI agents have met Ecuadorian police and prosecutors as part of a joint effort to uncover who was behind last week's assassination of presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio. Ecuadorian police have charged six Colombians with with the murder of the 59-year-old who was outspoken against corruption. The party of of Villavicencio has named journalist Christian Zarita as a replacement. Over 2,000 people have been evacuated from flooded areas of Primori in Russia's Far East. The climate became bad. It used to be easier. We tied a toilet with ropes because everything is drifting away. My logs are floating. Heavy downpours have flooded many villages in the region in the aftermath of Typhoon Conan. The remnants of the storm downgraded from typhoon status continue to bring rainfall to some areas over the weekend. The floodwaters have affected over 4,300 residential buildings across 16 districts. Officials say the floods triggered by heavy downpours have killed at least three people. A study shows that extreme events such as ocean heat waves and ice loss will almost certainly become more common and severe in Antarctica. Scientists are warning of the irreversible damage on the fragile ecosystem if global warming continues to heat up the planet. Scientists are concerned that the continent may gradually lose its role as one of the most critical tools for controlling temperature on Earth. Polar scientist Marching Circuit with Exeter University says Antarctica may start acting as a radiator instead of an air conditioner. Antarctica acts to keep the planet cool by reflecting the sun's rays back out into space, and we receive no net radiation warming as a consequence of that. But if that white reflective snow and ice surface is lost, then it's replaced by a dark surface, whether it be in the ocean or on the land. And so when the sun's energy comes down, it gets absorbed by that surface, and there is warming as a consequence. So you have exaggerated warming through the loss of ice and a feedback process. Scientists say the Antarctica ice sheet is holding enough water that is able to raise the world's sea levels by around 57 meters if it melts entirely. They say it's necessary for the world to meet the Paris Agreement target of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Thanks for the update. That was Tianyu. This is Sui in the Chinese capital coming up in business. China stresses optimizing foreign investment environment. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. 37 minutes past the hour. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland closed lower on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. The Chinese mainland markets traded broadly lower. That followed the release of some soft July credit data with new loans at their lowest since 2009. Uh, The Shanghai Composite Index was down by about a third of 1% and the Shenzhen Component uh, by about half of 1%. Financial stocks unsurprisingly suffered after the data revealed weak borrowing appetite. But uh, some of that is down to uh, seasonal factors. Lending usually eases off a bit uh, in China in July, but the country's 
biggest lenders were among the biggest drags on the market uh, as a result. The ICBC uh, fell by more than 1%. It is, of course, China's biggest lender. Uh, Bank of China slipped 1.5% and China Merchants Bank was down by uh, around 2%. Real estate and consumer shares also trended lower. Auto stocks were under pressure. The automaker Dongfeng slipped 1.8% after forecasting a 75% drop in first half profits. Uh, it flagged poor sales as uh, one of the main reasons for that drop. Uh, the company said that it's been losing market share, particularly among passenger vehicle makers, uh, and it really needs to switch its focus from uh, joint ventures with foreign auto brands, uh, of which it has quite a few, to developing more of its own new energy vehicles. It wasn't the only automaker trading lower, though. We saw Great Wall Motor and BYD each down uh, between 45 and 5%. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hansen index dropped around 1.6%. In Japan, the Nikkei was down over 1.2%. China's State Council has issued a guideline on optimizing the foreign investment environment and intensifying efforts to attract foreign investments. Under the guideline, 24 specific measures in six aspects have been put forward. These aspects include improving the quality of foreign capital utilization, strengthening the protection of foreign investment, improving the facilitation of investment and operation, as well as increasing fiscal and tax support. Over 24 new foreign firms were established in China in the first half of the year. Since the beginning of this year, over 100 multinational corporate executives have visited China to examine its investment landscape and explore business opportunities. To better serve foreign companies, the China Council for the Promotion of International Trade has carried out many activities to learn about their demands. Liu Zhengfu is the director of the Department of Development Research of the Council. We have collected nearly 7,000 demands from foreign invested enterprises, and currently more than 5,600 demands and suggestions from enterprises have been resolved. The China Council for the Promotion of International Trade says nearly 70% of the correspondent foreign invested enterprises have a positive outlook on the Chinese market for the next five years, and over 90% of them believe that attractiveness of the Chinese market is either rising or remaining stable. Creating a better business environment has always been a key priority for China to attract overseas businesses, and it's evident that these efforts are bearing fruit. Many Italian firms are planning to bring in more products and expand their presence in China. Lei Shiran reports. Foreign pharmaceutical companies are among the leading firms raising their commitment to the China market. The Healthy China 2030 initiative, the country's long-term approach announced in 2016 to improve disease prevention and treatment, is nurturing more business opportunities for this Italian healthcare solution provider. Having been in China for more than 20 years, the company has just announced a new construction project at its industrial plant in Shanghai, which will allow it to build a more localized supply chain. We still have some products which are produced in Europe completely, and they are then imported here. We maybe do only the repackaging here. We are going to change that. We are going to produce more in China to have a more localized supply chain with producers of ingredients that we will be you know, recruiting in China. We will be able to use that plant not only for China, but also to support the expansion in other parts of the APEC area. With highly concentrated supply chains and flourishing markets, China has long been a hot destination for Italian retailers as well. Many, including this Italian luxury car maker, are actively participating in China's industrial and sales exhibitions, saying more new products will be coming on the market soon. We're launching these models in China because China has become the biggest electrification market in the world. By 2025, every segment we operate, we will have an electric version, and by 2030, we will be only electric. Other well-known Italian retailers, including this coffee machine manufacturer, plan to increase their presence here through international exhibitions in China. We have debuted some new products here, which are specific for Chinese consumers. We also hope to partner with more high-end goods makers through those exhibitions. We want to expand our business in China. 
China has been Italy's largest trading partner in Asia for years. Official data show the trade value between China and Italy hit a new record last year, with a year-on-year growth of 5.4 percent to nearly 78 billion dollars. That was Li Shiran reporting. China has launched the CSI 2000 index to better reflect the performance of small cap stocks on the market. Companies covered by the new index register a combined capitalization of 9.3 trillion yuan, or around 1.3 trillion U.S. dollars, by the end of July, accounting for 10% of the total capitalization of China's A shares. An industrial survey shows growing consumer confidence among Chinese retailers. The China Retail Performance Index, a barometer of retailers' expectations for the sector, stood at 50.3 percent in August, edging up 0.2 percentage points from July and staying in the expansion zone for eight consecutive months. A reading above 50 indicates expansion. China's cold chain logistics totaled over 3 trillion yuan, or around 430 billion U.S. dollars, in the first half of this year, with a 3.7 percent increase. Vice President Cui Zhongfu of the China Federation of Logistics and Purchasing attributes the growth to the improvement of the industrial environment. Cold chain logistics is on an upward trajectory of consistent growth, propelled by various factors. Firstly, the country is vigorously promoting the development of this industry. Secondly, the evolving preferences of consumers, who now prioritize individualized experiences and their heightened awareness of food safety, further fuel the expansion of cold chain logistics. In the first half of the year, more than 20 policies related to cold chain logistics were issued at the national level. The world's largest clean energy corridor has achieved a milestone of generating over a billion kilowatt hours of electricity per day for three consecutive days. The corridor comprises six mega hydropower stations on the Yangtze River, including Guizhou Hydropower Station and Three Gorges Dam. With around 100 generating units in the corridor operating at full capacity, the electric power generated by the six mega hydropower stations per day is equivalent to the annual electricity consumption by over a million people. China's automobile exports maintained robust growth momentum in July. Last month, China shipped 310,000 vehicles overseas, up 63% from a year ago. Chinese homegrown passenger vehicles expanded their global presence, with the export of Chinese brand cars reaching 248,000 units, up 56%. In the first 11 month, in the first seven months. Passenger vehicle exports expanded by over 80% from a year ago to around 2 million units. Tesla has cut prices for its Model Y cars in China. The car maker dropped the starting prices for both the long-range and performance versions by 14,000 yuan, or nearly 2,000 U.S. dollars. Tesla has slashed prices several times in the United States, China, and other markets since late last year. Sales of Tesla's China-made vehicles fell 31 percent in July from June, marking its first month-on-month decline since last year. Australia's federal court has ordered Dell to pay 65 million U.S. dollars in penalties for misleading customers about their consumer rights. The court says the computer manufacturer misled customers about their rights to refunds, repairs, and replacement for faulty products. It says Dell also misled customers about the terms and conditions of its warranties and service contracts. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming up in sports early action from the English Premier League. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here is Brendan Yates. Thank you, Su Yi. And kicking off with football, English Premier League action for the 2023-24 season got underway over the weekend, with a host of fixtures for fans to feast their eyes on. Some notable results saw defending champions Manchester City begin their campaign with a convincing 3-0 win over Burnley, with last season's league top scorer Erling Haaland netting a brace. 
Elsewhere, last season's runners-up Arsenal defeated Nottingham Forest 2-1, Newcastle United earned a statement 5-1 win over Aston Villa, and league powerhouse sides Chelsea and Liverpool shared the points in a 1-1 draw. In La Liga, FC Barcelona were held to a goalless draw by Getafe in their new season debut. Both sides finished with just 10 players. Barca coach Xavi Hernandez was also shown the red card due to his apparent discontent with Getafe's fouling and time-wasting tactics. He expressed his grievances against the referee after the game. I think 10 against 10, we played better, and we dominated the game. It was a pity that we didn't score. That was the football part. Then, I think the referee allowed them to do a lot of things. We met with the committee. I didn't like that. In the meeting, they said that they aren't going to go many times to the VAR. In my opinion, VAR is very important to have justice. They said that they were going to understand the managers because we go through intense times during matches and then I was the first one to be sent off. Earlier, Real Madrid secured a 2-0 victory against Athletic Bilbao thanks to first-half goals from Rodrigo and La Liga debutante Jude Bellingham. However, the victory was overshadowed by Ida Militao's knee injury revelation, coming just days after Thibaut Courtois was confirmed to be out for the season with a similar issue. Madrid have since announced they have signed Chelsea goalkeeper Kepa Azuribalaga on a season-long loan to step in for Courtois. Spain will play Sweden in the first semi-final of the FIFA Women's World Cup on Tuesday. Spain outlasted the Netherlands over 120 minutes to seal their spot in the final four, while Sweden edged out Japan in their quarter-final tie. After being forced off in the second half against the Netherlands, Spain's Laia Codina is a doubt for the semi-final tie. Aitana Bonmati picked up a knock in the quarter-final victory, but the Barcelona midfielder is expected to be fit to take her place in the lineup. As for Sweden, manager Peter Gerhardsen may be tempted to select the same starting lineup for the third consecutive game. The winner of the clash will face either hosts Australia or England in the final. Moving on to transfer news, and Chelsea have agreed a deal with Brighton worth a British record £115 million for midfielder Moises Caicedo. The Blues are reportedly paying an initial £100 million, plus £15 million in performance-related add-ons for the Colombian. Caicedo has been granted permission by Brighton to have a Chelsea medical, which is expected to take place this week. And in a dramatic turnaround in an ongoing transfer saga, Paris Saint-Germain president Nasser Al-Khalafi has told PSG players that Kylian Mbappe will play for the club this season. Al-Khalafi is reported to have said that Kylian is committed to PSG. PSG later confirmed in a social media post that Mbappe is back in the PSG training squad. The France national team captain is also expected to extend his current contract to 2025. Reports have also emerged that PSG has agreed a deal with Al-Hilal for the transfer of Mbappe's teammate Neymar. Roberto Mancini has resigned as Italy's coach to end an up-and-down spell with the Azzurri that included winning the European Championship in 2021, followed by an unexpected failure to qualify for last year's World Cup. Mancini took charge of the four-time World Cup winners in 2018 after they failed to reach that year's tournament in Russia to mark their first time missing the showpiece since 1958. He went on to guide a transitional Italian side to success at the European Championship and his team also had an undefeated run of 37 games, setting a record in men's international football. Italy's next matches are scheduled for September when they face North Macedonia and Ukraine in Euro 2024 qualifiers and the country's football federation is set to name a new coach in the next few days. Moving on to tennis and Yannick Sinner won the National Bank Open in Canada for his first ATP Masters 1000 title, beating Alex de Minow 6-4-6-1. Sinner, the 21-year-old Italian player seeded 7th, has 8 tour victories, also winning in February at Montpellier. He's the second Italian Masters 1000 champion, following Fabio Fognini in the 2019 event in Monte Carlo. Sinner was very happy with the result. It means a lot. No, um, it's a great result. Uh, what I can share with my, yeah, all the people who are close to me every day, um, all uh, the whole team. Sinner broke the Minal serve five times in the 90-minute match to earn an impressive victory. 
In basketball, the Chinese men's national team wrapped up their warm-up games in Europe by beating New Zealand 69-68 to finish third at the 2023 Basketball Super Cup in Hamburg, Germany. Li Kaya, the first naturalized player in Chinese basketball history, gained a game-high 18 points for Team China. He also had five rebounds and four steals, including a game-saving stop in clutch time. Alexander Djokovic's side will head back home to play their last warm-up against Serbia in Shenzhen before the FIBA World Cup scheduled on August 25th. And finally, in golf news, Lucas Glover claimed a dramatic playoff win over Patrick Cantlay to make it back-to-back -back wins on the PGA Tour in the FedEx St. Jude Classic at TPC Southwind. Glover and Cantlay were tied and entered into a sudden death, where Glover had an immediate advantage after Cantlay went straight into the water from his tee shot. Making par proved enough to seal victory for Glover, with his opponent missing a putt to save par. Thanks, Brandon. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a Chinese piano maestro has been honored with Life Achievement Award. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. An exhibition with the theme of origins of civilization is ongoing at the Chinese Archaeological Museum. The event displays an array of treasures from unearthed artifacts to ancient books offering a glimpse into China's evolving culture. Yang Yan has more. An exhibition on the theme Origins of Civilization at the Chinese Archaeological Museum focuses on the development of Chinese civilization from the Paleolithic to Neolithic age. The exhibition hall showcases a large mouse poetry that dates back around 4,800 years ago. Its significance lies in the three carved symbols on the surface. Some scholars believe they are individual characters, sun, moon, and mountain, while others believe they might be combined to represent the character Dan. The academic circle believes that this carved symbol is related to the origin of Chinese characters. It is not merely a carved image. The Xia, Shang and Zhou dynasties were the very dawn of Chinese history. The exhibition, The Making of China, the civilization of the Xia, Shang and Zhou dynasties at the Chinese Archaeological Museum showcases important cultural relic, a jade blade unearthed from the early Tou site in Henan province. The discovery of this type of ritual vessel reveals the unprecedented scope of influence of the early Tou culture, which dates to about 2100 to 1700 BC and is attributed to the Xia dynasty. During the early Tou period, suddenly Yajang, a type of jade blade, began to spread to various regions, reaching Hanoi, Vietnam in the south, the Pearl River Delta in the southeast, the Sichuan Basin in the southwest, and some are even found in today's Sanqing Dui. Porcelain is also an important vessel for cultural exchange. It's often used in sacrificial rituals and buried in tombs. A profound understanding of the history of Chinese civilization is essential to the preservation, inheritance, and innovative development of traditional Chinese culture. That was Yang Yan reporting from Exhibition on Archaeology. Liu Shikun, an 84-year-old Chinese pianist, has been honored with the Most Outstanding Asian Artist Lifetime Achievement Award in New York City over the weekend. Born in 1939 in Tianjin, Liu started playing the piano at the age of three. He's been widely considered as an outstanding composer, arts educator, and a pioneer in China-U.S. cultural exchange. Established in 1981, the Most Outstanding Asian Artist Lifetime Achievement Award is one of the most significant honors in the United States dedicated to recognizing excellence in the Asian arts community. The Shambhala Cultural Museum in Sichuan Province is set to become the world's highest altitude cultural museum. It's expected to open its doors to the public by late September, set an altitude of approximately 3,900 meters. 
The museum is poised to surpass the Xizang Intangible Cultural Heritage Museum by 150 meters to become the world's highest cultural museum once completed. Designed to mimic the shape of the Shangka, one of the eight auspicious symbols of Tibetan Buddhism, the museum also integrates with the th- surrounding landscape. The third season of the original music variety show, The Big Band, is underway. This season, The Big Band continues the program's original intention of providing a platform for high-quality brands to show off their talents and introducing multiple types of bands to the public. Now let's check the weather again. Beijing is 24 overnight Tuesday, sunny with a high of 34. Chongqing is 28 this evening, sunny and 37 tomorrow. Lhasa is 14 overnight tomorrow, cloudy and 25. Hong Kong is 28 tonight, cloudy and 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 25 overnight, light rain and 31 on Tuesday. Islamabad is 22 tonight, tomorrow light rain and 34. Bangkok is 26 overnight, then light rain and 35 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see slight rain with a high of 26. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 9 this evening, then light rain and 16 on Tuesday. Auckland is 8 overnight tomorrow, light rain with a high of 14. Port Vila has light rain and 26 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: over 90 people are confirmed dead in the Hawaii wildfires. A far-right libertarian has taken a surprise lead in Argentina's primary election. On behalf of the staff, this is Sui in the Chinese capital, hoping you will join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open the window to the world together.